Hi, thanks so much for joining us with APC Chats, where we basically work to spotlight people, voices, and opinions that deserve a platform and may not often get it. That said, feel free to join us in the conversation, following us at APC Collective on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. so much for joining us. We have Rick Cantu from the Austin American Statesman, longtime sports writer and family friend. Rick, thanks so much for being here with us today. It's my pleasure. Whenever you want me, I'm right here. <laughs> Noted. Um, for those of you that don't know, Rick has long been a storyteller of all things sports and athletics as it relates to high school, college, and pro ball. I'm going to let him tell us about his trajectory and we're going to chime in with questions. Well, my trajectory, um, to be a journalist, sure. I um, lived in Spain, moved for my junior year of high school, and I went to San Antonio. It was a big school, 3,000 kids. And I go home later that night, and I tell my mother, I said, um, Mom, they've got all these electives. They've got things like geometry and geology and oceanography and astrology and astronomy and all this stuff. And I, I said, I don't know what to take. She goes, why don't you take journalism? And I said, okay. I said, what is journalism? And she kind of laughed and kind of made fun of me. I thought it was writing in your journal like a diary or something. She goes, well, no, it's like writing for the school newspaper or working for the yearbook. So I said, okay. I, I didn't know yes or no. And I thought, well, so there it started. I worked for the school newspaper as a junior and senior in high school and then gravitated to college where I worked at the uh, UTEP newspaper for three years. And uh, one thing led to another, El Paso Times for almost 10 years. And then I moved here in 1990. Wow, and then we followed you, right? Because we got here, I guess you were here. 92, my brother in 93, and I got here in 95. Here is Austin, which is our adopted city. Talk to us about your journey at the Statesman. 20 years plus? Well, 27 years ago, and um, I, I moved here because the sports editor called me in El Paso and asked me if I would want to write about University of Texas football. And at the time, I remember... Just a small program. A small program. <laughs> I said... Uh, no fans. No. <laughs> I said, isn't that the, uh, the biggest game in town? And he said, that's the only game in town. And I'm thinking, why do they want me? He doesn't know me. He's never spoken to me. We've never met. And uh, long story short, apparently he got a good review or some sort. So in 1990, I had my first uh, first chapter of University of Texas football, and they had a great season. They went 10-1 and one that year. They went to the Cotton Bowl, and I thought, this is pretty amazing. I'm used to Utah football where there's only – 20 or 30,000 people in the stand. So from there, uh, I, I did that for six or seven years, and then they put me on the Dallas Cowboys. So I went to every Cowboy game, home and away, for eight years. They let me go to the Super Bowl six times, even when the Cowboys were not even playing. Mm-hmm. So uh, as I was telling Sunday before, I said, you know, I, I like to think that my job beats working. Mm-hmm. You know, if uh, my motto is if um, you enjoy what you do in life, you'll never work day in your life and um, it's not easy it's not easy to write fast it's not easy to write in a way where it interests other people but it's like everything else in life if you do something long enough you're going to get good at it 
And I'm, it's one of those professions where you get better as you go along, whereas some professions you, you're better at the beginning and then you just sort of have a plateau. But uh, experience means everything in my job. I learned everything about my job through working and nothing from college. College set me up with some basics, mm-hmm. but being on the job has taught me everything that, that I, I know now. What have you seen in terms of the evolution of sports and celebrity and how does that impact your storytelling? Because there's so much that's happened, not just with UT and where we're at now as, as a program, where we're at, like I'm mega informed. I'm a Longhorn, I'm a proud Longhorn. I, I, I watch um, college ball because of my my partner, Joseph. Then that's like, that's what fall is. I pretty much let him check out for every every season. That said, how has storytelling changed and, and how has the game changed as it relates to athletics and celebrity? I don't think the athletic part has changed. I think it's as competitive now. The athletes themselves now as it was 27 years ago. The thing that's changed from a newspaper standpoint is we're trying to keep up with the televisions and we're trying to keep up with the radio stations. It used to be that um, when I was hired, you would see my story in the morning paper on your front door now that's not good enough people want immediacy right now because of the advent of social media you can get things on social media like just like that look at your phone you got the score you got the story you've got everything you need you don't people don't want to wait till the next morning pick up the paper read it and and go about their business so we have to be more competitive because newspapers generally around the country are on decline mm-hmm. because people are getting their news elsewhere, the computers, their phones, and, and elsewhere. So we have to be immediate. So because of that, I now do uh, quick blogs. If something happens right now, they want it on our website. We have like 10 websites within the Austin American Statesman. They want it on a website within five minutes. Mm-hmm. They don't want the morning paper to be the first time our viewing our readers to see a story they want it now i do two videos a week during football season to talk about high school football um, i've done podcasts I, i'm on blogs i do twitter i'm active on just about everything there is and that's to promote the newspaper and to promote sports obviously um, that wasn't the case 15 years ago 15 years ago it was still write the story get it done edit it put it in a paper done and now my job is probably twice as busy and they expect me to get as much done from a writing standpoint as 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 before but it's the social media part that's actually changed my job and a lot of people's jobs actually how have you kept up with the times to compete and to perform and to make sure that your stories are, are making not just headlines but also getting more shares on social and getting more views on the site like how have you kept up professionally well it's it you know the older you get the harder it is to keep up with the technology Mm -hmm. part we've got a guy on our staff that's about 32 years old Mm -hmm. and every time i have a computer problem i say danny danny can you help me on this can you help me on this and he guides me through the, the the technical part the computer part but um uh, I guess you can teach an old dog new tricks because uh, I have no other choice but to keep up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for example, uh, UT women's basketball team, they're going to find out where they're playing, who they're playing at tonight, at Monday, 
you know, at six o'clock, I have to have something on our website probably by six ten. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a lot of pressure because you have to have your computer ready. You've got to have the people that you need to talk to. You got to have the facts down. You got to do all these things. And by six ten, I'll have a story on our website that shows this is what's happening. That wasn't the pressure that I had before, mm-hmm. where I had three or four hours to write a story and there was never a problem. But uh, I, I try and keep up with social media because social media, fortunately or unfortunately, is the wave of the future. Yeah. I think it's exciting. Um, do you have special relations with athletic directors and you know the information specialists so that you get the news in advance to help you with the writing and the posting? I work with a um, sports information director at UT, and um, he guides me through things that I need to know. Mm-hmm. If a player is hurt, for example, and is going to miss a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. he'll let me know before the next game. So I'm informed because I have to tell the public who's not there. Mm-hmm. If a player is hurt or leaves for unknown reasons, the public needs to know. That's the number one thing a newspaper reporter has to do. If they, people go to a game and so-and-so is not on the bench, they need to know why so-and-so is mm-hmm. not on the bench. So I have to have a rapport with the sports information director, and he has to feed me information. He says, hey, you need to know about this because this is probably going to come up. So he and I have a really good relationship. He knows when to feed me, even though he works for you know, the new, the university, he's the buffer between them and, mm-hmm. and, and the newspaper, but he works more for them. So he has to be careful on what he feeds me. Um, but with that said, we have a good relationship. It's built on trust. He knows that I'm not going to burn him mm-hmm. by writing something that's going to get him in trouble or a player, for example, mm-hmm. you know, but it's, it's built on trust and you have to have trust in this business. Agreed. How have you seen, because, I mean, if you look at the Dallas Cowboys and pro football and, and what's happened from a celebrity perspective, from an attitude perspective, from an overall, like, what is it, don't tarnish the stars, what the Cowboys say. But but stars get tarnished, and both, you know, theoretically and, and literally. Um, how have you decided what to report on? What, what, what makes the story? Is it I'm sure it's not the salacious details, but how they impact the overall program. Well, people or? do like salacious details. <laughs> um, my philosophy on what to write is based on this. A family eats breakfast together in the morning. Will they have a conversation about, wonder what happened to this? Wonder what who said this to whom? If they're curious about facts it's up to me to provide those facts. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to not delve into a, a, an athlete's private life. The only way I do that is if the private life gets him into legal trouble. If they're in legal trouble, that's a whole different deal. Public record. Public record, um, person gets in trouble with the police, that's right or wrong, that's news. Mm-hmm. You know, news, by nature is bad you know people say well how come you guys never report on good news in the news and my my answer to that is the plane that lands safely is not news fortunately or unfortunately that's the way it is that's not to say all news is bad news news is just what Unless it was carrying puppies, thank you, Southwest Airlines, yeah, or JetBlue. I think there's a lot of you know. Unless there's some sort of a charitable connection, right? 
the plane that lands safely. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah, you caught me on that one. <laughs> I'm just giving a plug to I Southwest. Love, I, love I love dogs. Them. I love dogs, and I, I, I fly Southwest probably 90% of the time. We need to get you on the cover of their their oh, magazine. Well, if you well, can do like it. Well, like the inside, the inside yeah. of like. I don't want to be on the inside. <laughs> I need to work on a, on a cover story then. That's the next one. Sports as as a genre, you started out being a curious kid, looking right. at different subjects and electives that people could take, and and your mom, skillfully as mothers do, guided your path to to lead into journalism, so that you had a wide variety of subjects to choose from, to learn about, report on, and dive into. How did you decide that sports was your genre of choice in storytelling? Um, basically, I grew up um, in a military family. And we moved all over the world. We moved to different states. I was born in Florida. I lived in California. lived in England. lived in Spain, New Mexico, Texas. And for me, the best way to make friends during this journey was to play sports. Because sports is the ultimate game of um, you don't need language. friendship. Yeah. You don't need language. Once you're on the field, you're all together. You're all going for the same goal. And I remember being in California between the ages of maybe 7 and 12, and the Dodgers were on television every night during the summer. And I used to watch the Dodger games, and in the fall I'd watch the L.A. Rams play, and I, I just loved sports. I remember picking up the newspaper as an 8-year-old in San Bernardino, California, just to see how the Dodgers did the night before. And so I grew, my love of sports grew. And when I was 12, we, we were in Spain, and I played Little League Baseball. And this is my one claim to fame, by the way. Uh, my my team in Spain, we made the Little League World Series. Wow! And I was a shortstop of the team. We were we were representing Madrid. We are actually representing Europe. That was our our uniform said Europe when we played in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. So in my mind, I was going to play shortstop for the Dodgers someday. I knew I was one badass guy. <laughs> As a young badass twelve-year-old, uh, every you know they every twelve-year-old thinks they're going to play pro this or pro that. And once I realized that probably wasn't going to happen, I knew that I wanted to be in sports in some fashion. And so, being a journalist allowed me to do that. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm still in the game, even though I'm not in the game. Because what do I do? I interview athletes, I interview coaches, I go to games for a living. I'm not part of playing anymore, but I'm part of the game. Mm-hmm. So I would say when I was eight years old, loving baseball, loving the Dodgers, loving the Rams, loving the L.A. Lakers, and then you know playing baseball myself, um, I just naturally gravitated to wanting to be a sports writer. I love it. What are the biggest um, stories or headlines that you remember sharing with the world about the athletes or the, or the teams or the programs that you've covered? What have you most enjoyed sharing? I'm big into human interest. I love human interest. I go to games, and but games are fine, but they don't thrill me. Yeah. I love doing human interest stories. Um, last couple weeks ago, I... I was fortunate. I got the biggest honor I've ever had being a, a newspaper reporter. A story that I wrote last year was voted one of the top 10 stories of the country for the year 2017. 
And at the time that I was writing it, I knew it was a good story, It was, but I never thought of it on that level. But when I was writing it, I knew it had a lot of interest. And it was about homeschooled kids in the state of Texas who are not allowed to play for the closest high school. Now, the argument for them is that we pay school taxes. We pay school taxes, and our boy or our girl, they want to play at Austin High School, Westlake High School, Bowie High School. They want to play. But um, in 25 states, if I'm not mistaken, you can do that. Florida was the first. They call it the Tim Tebow rule. Tim Tebow with a great quarterback, Heisman Trophy winner. He was homeschooled, yet he played for a high school football team. But when it came to the Texas government, the legislators have voted it down twice. And so homeschool kids still cannot play sports. They have their own league leagues, but it's not competitive. And it's, it's tough because the travel... You know, if you want to play a team, you only have one team in Austin. So you got to travel to Houston just to play a game. Mm -hmm. So it's been a kind of a controversial topic for, you know, a few years now because it seems like the rest of the country is allowing homeschoolers to to play sports. But people, the Texas High School Football Coaches Association is a very strong entity. And for whatever reason, they do not want homeschoolers playing high school football. They're afraid that it's going to create an unfair uh, imbalance. Like the best high school homeschoolers will want to go to Westlake, for example, mm-hmm. or Lake Travis, and they don't want the imbalance. And the homeschoolers are saying, we'll just go to the closest school where we live. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we live out in Elgin, we'll go to Elgin High School. If we live out in Pflugerville, we'll go to Pflugerville High School. We're not going to cheat. We're going to just go wherever. But it still got shot down again. Um, I don't even think it made it to the floor this time. So it, it may be a done deal dead in, in the state of Texas. Because isn't there already an, an imbalance right now with school sports as it is determined upon your, your zip code? Yeah. Um, yes. If you live in the Pflugerville ISD, for example, you would have to play for a Pflugerville school. But the coaches think that you're going to circumvent the rules and say that, well, he really lives with his grandmother somewhere else. Therefore, he's going to go and wind up at a different school. He's going to wind up going to Bowie instead of going to, you know, a smaller school like like Travis High School. So it is boundaries are everything. Um, and people have, have been trying to bend the rules about boundaries for forever. Doesn't that happen anyways? Like in high school sports, like... People move from city to city or like they say, oh, I'm living with my cousin right now. Mm-hmm. And, oh, I'm also a quarterback, by the way. <laughs> uh, have you reported on issues like that in Texas? Cause I know it happens in Texas a whole lot. I played in uh, in uh, in in uh, the 5A district in Dallas. And there was issues like that in Dallas where kids would move from city to city uh, to be a starting quarterback. Right. At a high school. And then that was a big deal. And people would get fined and, and just... Have you reported? Oh, absolutely. Like it, it's uh, the UIL, um, the University of Scholastic League decides who gets to play and who does not get to play. Mm-hmm. Um, so they meet individually, one on one, with every single kid that aspires to go from this school to this school, and it's their duty to say which ones get to go and which ones do not get to go. 
And there's controversy there because a kid may legitimately move from Dallas to Austin, for example, and someone is going to cry. They did it for athletic reasons, Mm -hmm. okay? But if the parents have actually moved and they now live in the Austin residence, there's no reason for it to be a controversy. But where it comes into play is um, when a kid from this side of town moves in with the grandmother over here as as the legal guardian. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden that legal guardian is who you're living with. Therefore, I'm going to go to this school. And coaches just cringe at that. There was a, a kid that I wrote about from Chicago. He was about six foot eight, about 300 pounds. He was going to be a big time college football player someday. And he moved from Chicago to the Westlake area and lived with a man who was not related to him. But the parents said, or his mother, that he was his new legal guardian. And I kind of felt sorry for the kid because he moved all this way. And then once he got here, the, the school district ruled that he could not play. And so the kid was just, um, he left a terrible situation in Chicago. It was a, a bad part of town. He had, his best friend was shot. Uh, his, his school, they had metal detectors just to walk into the building. And I said, well, what's the difference between your school in Chicago and Westlake High School? And then he told me that story. And then he says, at Westlake, we don't even have security guards roaming the campus. You know, so he his life was so much better here. But yet the other coaches in the district didn't want this great football player to come in and probably beat their teams. So I always thought that the better the player, the more likely they're not going to let him play because the coaches don't want some an outsider who's that good to ruin their cases. That's crazy. What happened to the kid? Uh, he is now playing at the University of Texas, San Antonio. I believe he's a junior. And uh, from what I understand, he's got a legitimate chance to be in the pros next year. But uh, he's a very good, you know, lineman. And, you know, he's pretty mean looking. <laughs> I have a, a, one more question. Do we, we yeah. have time? Yeah. So uh, I did a tour at the Statesman when I was in school like a couple years ago. And uh, I, I thought it was something else. You know, I thought it was like a people just typing and just printers going off. And, and then I, I saw that. Uh, you you guys actually don't print in Austin anymore. You guys print in uh, uh, where in San Antonio. In San Antonio, and but what I realized was that it's it's like a it's a it's a tech company. It's like a media company. You guys have a, a, a an advertising agency inside the Statesman, and uh, a bunch of different. You guys are up with the times. That's what I'm saying. But I was gonna say I was gonna ask you how do you keep up with the the current high school athletes that are like superstars, I see that these basketball players like Shaquille O'Neal's son, the Ball Brothers, they're, uh, they're in high school and they got millions of followers and they have brands, they have uh, deals. Uh, do you guys uh, report on, on those celebrity high school players too? Or even in Texas, there's players that have millions of followers and they're going to go to top D1 schools and they're already looking at NBA teams. Uh do you guys keep up with that as well? well? I don't know how many celebrities there are like Shaquille O'Neal in the city of Austin. I haven't heard that here. Uh, that's a legitimate news story. Unfortunately, 
um, when you talk about LeVar Ball is who you're mentioning, has the three sons that played at UCLA and now one plays for the Lakers. And the father has his hand in everything. He meddles in everything, which is kind of a nuisance to the media people. But this is a tough thing for the media. I prefer not to write about the father of those three boys because I think he's a nuisance. But if I don't report on it, and others do, people are going to say, why did you not report on it? Why did I have to go to the Austin Chronicle, for example, to find out about Shaquille O'Neal's son is going to play for the Lakers someday, you know, and 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 so forth. Um, so it, it's a tricky situation because the media is now so competitive among ourselves. There's There's people that do nothing but blogs. And there's people that do nothing but this and that and the other thing and newsletters and, and so forth. And we have to keep up with the news. And in my opinion, not all news is fit to print. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the New York Times slogan, yeah, obviously. Um, but uh, but who who's to determine what is fit to print? Um, in my opinion... Not everything needs to be in the paper, but uh, there's so much pressure on us to put everything in there now that it, it, it's it's hard. It's it's a tough call. What's one of the more um, mem- memorable moments as a journalist covering the teams that you've been able to cover or the athletes that you've been able to cover? Well, sometimes people will say, well, what's the best game you've ever witnessed live? And almost everybody at the newspaper um, will tell you that the best game they ever covered was the Texas USC game from 12 years ago, the national championship game where Vince Young made a miraculous comeback. I was at the Rose Bowl that night, and I remember getting chills and shivers and just going down my spine, which never happens to me at normal games. But that was not a normal game. That was for the whole the whole game, the whole season. Um, that was my favorite game. But like I said, I, I I would prefer to write about human interest stories. I would prefer to write about some family that's had a hard time getting from here to here and the journey that it took to get from there to there. Um, th- those are the stories that, that make me glad that I'm doing what I do. Some could argue that football in Texas or sports in Texas, I mean, that is politics, right? Absolutely. You have power brokers, power players, money, a lot of money behind sports and programs here, specifically in Austin, but definitely across the state. How have you navigated those politics and what do you see as a deterrent to to the games themselves, right? When I think about as a, as a citizen or as a community member, as a taxpayer, um, what sports mean across the country, who gets funded the most, what teachers do and don't make, what athletic directors do and don't make, how have you navigated kind of that reality, and, and what's your take on it, for better or worse? Well, for better or for worse, um, all schools are not created equally. Um, you hear that, A&M? Yeah. <laughs> A&M has probably heard. Um, I mean, there's Lake Travis, and there's Westlake, and then there's the rest of us. Mm-hmm. I mean, Lake Travis built a $5 million indoor practice facility about five or six years ago. The rest of the Austin ISD doesn't even remotely have the funds to do any like, anything like that for their entire district. So the rich get richer. 
And I think that's true in most walks of life and in, in not just athletics and not just high school sports. Um, Westlake, if you go to Westlake, well, you, you know, they've got the best facilities. Go to Lake Travis. That looks like a small college. I don't know if you've been to Lake Travis before. It looks like a small college. And um, there's really nothing you can do about it. It's because the Lake Travis and Westlake people still pay for what they have. The, the voters actually voted upon having a $5 million practice facility. And without question, um, that's how much football means to them. When you win state six times in 10 years, it, it means a lot. I mean, their community is, you, you say, what do you know about Lake Travis? Oh, that's the team, that, the football team that wins every year. I mean, not everybody can say that, but Austin ISD, they don't have the funds to do that. Um, they've got cutbacks every single year that I've known. Um, they pay their teachers and they pay their, their coaches less than, than the biggest money makers are the school districts that only have one high school. Um, when high school coaches leave to find another job, their utopia is to find a district that only has one high school. That way they can be a dictator instead of share Resources. Share the resources with eight other schools. Um, so if you have one high school, you know, Pflugerville used to have one high school. Now they've got three or four. So Round Rock used to have one. Now they've got four high schools. Doesn't a, a high school football coach, a head coach, make more money than the principal on, on average for like a 5A, 6A school? By and so I know that, in, Dunkerville, a good question. in Dunkerville, it was a 5A school. The coach was making 120 thousand dollars a year and the principal was making like a hundred and i was like what, what i think i should be a football coach you know because that's i feel like in 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 texas if you don't have like a call if you don't have a good college football team you have a high school team that's going to attract people allen high school they spend a couple million on a stadium too and if it's a few thousand people uh i i've seen i've seen stadiums that look better than college stadiums for high school stadiums yeah. in texas and it's, I don't know, I feel like it's, I feel like it's the number one, basketball and football, but I feel like football just attracts and makes the school money too. Absolutely. Allen High School spent $65 million on that high school, which blew away, you know, almost everybody. I remember when the uh, Pflugerville, no, no, the Round Rock ISD about 15 years ago built the, what we call the Palace on Palmer. It's now called, it's Kelly Reeves Stadium. It used to be called Round Rock ISD Stadium. Beautiful place, but we call it the Palace of Palmer because it was really, really fancy. And that only went for $20 million, which at the time seemed like an astronomical figure. Then Allen comes up with about five years later with a $65 million stadium that had cracks all yeah. over the place that they had to condemn the place for, for a year while they fixed it. Um, big joke there. Um, but Dallas, the city of Dallas is, is crazy in the high school level, you know, for, for their football. It's probably because of the Cowboys being so popular and, and so forth. But, uh, it's big money. It's unfortunate that there are the bigs and the littles and nothing's going to change that. And there's nothing equal about high school sports in this state. 
So that was the follow-up question, is how does Texas compare as it relates to investment in high school sports programs and resources versus other states? You just said nothing's equal. Well, um, well, you know, Texas is not the most populated state in the country, but Texas has the most high school athletes, period, in the country, and that includes California. California has close to 40 million people. Texas has more like 27 million people, and still more people play athletics in Texas high schools than any other state in the union. Um, we take it seriously. Um, I went to the state uh, UIL basketball tournament in San Antonio the other day. And, um, you know, it used to be here in Austin for 100 years. And unfortunately, South by Southwest has kind of taken over the hotel space, so they don't have it here anymore. But it's, it's big business. They use the Alamo Dome. The Alamo Dome seats 65,000 people. Of course, they don't use 65,000 for high school basketball, but it just shows you they want the grandiose um, facilities for to maximize the bottom line, and the bottom line is usually money. Um, but it, but it's a great deal for the kids. It's the, the kids that play at the Cowboys football stadium for the state championships every year. Can you imagine the excitement in them when they uh, they score a touchdown? And the first thing where they want to do is look at the big screen. <laughs> You know, you could see the big screen and they're looking at themselves and doing a dance or something. The experience you get, uh, we had a playoff game there at the, the first year was open at the uh, new Cowboy Stadium. And they bring you, first of all, let me tell you that I played, uh, I played soccer and football. Football, you're treated like a king. Like they feed you like almost every day. They give you all Nike. They're sponsored. Right. These nice charter buses take to the stadium. You're, you have your plate, your name. Someone makes your like, like your name plate on the locker, and you have your 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 Subway sandwiches, your Gatorade, and then you have like posters. Mm-hmm. And you're like, ooh, this is pretty <laughs> cool. And then you know, like yeah, like playing at the stadium. Like you see, there's thousands of people that you score. Like a, I was a kicker. You score, you feel like fainting because like everyone's like you see yourself on the screen, and you're like, oh my god. And I feel like. That couldn't happen anywhere else. Like in Texas, like we, and the stadium is almost, I mean, it fits like 100,000 people, but there's probably like 40,000 people there watching. Yeah. And there were 45,000 that watched um, Lake Travis play in the state finals this year. That was a good game. The co- Wait, was, was it? A, it was a great game. They lost 35-33. Their quarterback got hurt in the very first play of the game, or they might have won that game. Yeah. But um, but soccer they don't have, they don't give you the, the Gatorade and the, the subways yeah. and yeah. stuff like that. That's a whole different thing. They, they give you the powder uh, to put in the water, yeah, yes. and then it makes Gatorade. That's yeah, what well, it's so funny. It's because like where my son he is at Crockett, and it's a really small school, and socioeconomically they're not they don't compete with the Westlake. So no. the coach and has they never to, will. No, and they never will. And so the coach has to reach out, get sponsorship, not sponsorships, but like ask for donations. Like so, the kids, you know, they get the powdered Gatorade or powdered, you know, for them to drink. They had to take the short bus because their buses weren't available to take them to Maynard to play in Maynard. So they're all right. scrunched up on the short bus to go play baseball, and remember- it's just kind of, I don't know, it's a little frustrating because not knowing and navigating through UIL rules and like, how can you raise money? Because we know that Westlake, there's, you know, there's a separate fund for those kids that play sports or that have other extracurricular activities that the parents pay into. Right. And, you know, so they're not just getting their tax monies, but there's also additional monies that are, they're able to utilize for their don't, children. Don't universities do the same thing? Cause like obviously football brings in the most money for UT, but they also have a women's soccer team, women's, uh, um, 
volleyball, but I'm sure they they don't get the same funds the football team gets. Well, well, they don't get the same funds, but they don't need the same funds. Yeah, they don't. Yeah, they don't. But um, you know, there's only three or four sports at the University of Texas that make money. Um, the, the men's basketball team makes money. The women's basketball team makes some money, and the baseball team makes some money. But nothing is the cash cow that the University of Texas football team is, because they have donations. They fill up. They've they've Stadiums. got eighty thousand season ticket holders that spend thousands. So the football team kind of funds the rest of the university when it comes to sports. So they 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 like to have the best of the best, and they spent they spent about. A hundred million dollars on the football stadium and just improvements a few years ago, mm-hmm. improvements, not not a new stadium. And just Texas a, State spends like probably like fifty thousand. You know, it's I feel like it's like that. You know, with universities, it's just going to be like some schools are going to be better than others when it comes to certain things. And I feel like it's always going to be like that. Like UNT too, they have a, they had a new stadium, but like they don't, no one goes to the football games. You know, so they're not going to spend money on the football team. UTA had a football team. They're like, no one's coming, so they just just, they just stopped there's, having there's football. Identify what they're good at and what they can potentially double down on. Mm-hmm. I had a question about coaches. Mm-hmm. Which coaches have you most enjoyed covering or learning from or sharing stories from? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I, uh, I, rem- I really liked uh, working with Jody Conrad. When she was coaching the UT women's basketball team, uh, I like coaching, uh, writing about them because one, they're fun, and two, you don't get the egos that you do in the men's game. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was down to earth. Uh, she's one of those ones who gave me her phone number and said, "Call me at any time that you need help with your story." There was a football coach named John Makovic at the same time at the University of Texas, and I was covering UT football at the time. And I asked him for the same thing. I'm the only newspaper in town. And he said, no. He said, I'm not going to give you my phone number because then I'd have to give everybody else in the state my phone number too. And I told him, no, you don't. You don't have to do that. I'm the only one in this town. And he declined. And I'm, I remember thinking, what kind of relationship is that? I mean, he doesn't have to give the Dallas Morning News their phone number. They don't cover every single day like I did at the time. And I always, you know, I love to tell that story. Everybody knows who Pat Summit is. Pat Summit was the greatest women's basketball coach of all time, the University of Tennessee. And um, I saw her, I interviewed her at a game against Texas. This must have been 10 years ago. And and uh, I said, Pat, uh, you know, you're kind of like the spokesman for women's basketball. Every once in a while, I like to write about topics on the subject. I said, any, any way I can get your phone number if ever I want to reach out to you? And she says, okay, give me, a, give me a piece of paper. She writes down her home phone number. She writes down her work phone number. She writes down her cell phone number. Give me a call whenever you want. Is that a gender thing then? It might be because gender in that women's basketball needs publicity. Men's basketball does not need publicity. You go to a UT women's basketball game, and they're lucky to get four or 5,000 people in there. A bad UT ba- men's basketball team will get nine or 10. I mean, you and I both grew up in El Paso, and the same was for the 
basketball okay. teams there. And the men drew ten or 12,000 every game, and the women didn't. Um, a few years ago, the women actually drew more during a tournament than the men did, but that was a whole totally different thing. But men's basketball, they don't need publicity. Women, they do. And uh, Jody and Pat Summit and the uh, Marsha Sharp from Texas Tech, uh, they won a national championship with Cheryl Swoops, 25th anniversary. She gave me her home phone number and said, call me at any time. I didn't abuse it. I did call them, but not maybe once every two years or something like that, and mm -hmm. they were glad to talk to me. Uh, any UT coaches, men's football? And I'm so curious on your take on Charlie Strong and, and what happened and uh, what's next for UT ball. Uh, oof. Charlie Strong was a great man, great principles. He's one of those guys that you would probably like to go to the bar with. Mm -hmm. and have a few but unfortunately that's not the bottom line at this university you have to win games you can't go six and six you can't go five and seven and lose to kansas yeah. when they lost to kansas the worst team in america i said this this can't happen he, may, he might be the greatest guy in the world but you can't have that so unfortunately they let a good man go because they, you, you don't want to just be Mr. Nice Guy and lose every game. Mm -hmm. Texas was not built on mediocrity. They were built um, with uh, Daryl Royal as coach, and we got you know we were spoiled. I mean, they if they had if they won nine games a year, that wouldn't be enough. This team was lucky to win six, mm -hmm. and Charlie Strong. Now he's somewhere else, and he's actually doing well. So maybe the fit wasn't there. He's mm -hmm. not from Texas. Maybe the fit wasn't there. Maybe he had trouble recruiting high school football players in Texas because he's not from here. His roots are from Florida in the southeast, and now he's back in Florida, and he had a really good year last year. So he had a good year at Louisville before he came to Texas, mm -hmm. and that's why Texas. Texas hired him because they thought, well, if he can win at Louisville, then he can win here. It didn't work that way. And John Makovic, if you go back further, he was from Illinois, and he didn't win here either. So Mac Brown, he wasn't from here, but he, he was a different cat. He knew how to shake hands. He knew the outside part of football, which is the, the media part, the uh, show my face on TV part, the, you know, Kiss the baby part. Uh, he knew that. And Kiss the regions. <laughs> he yeah, grease the hands, and <laughs> and then you never know what might come into it. But he was a, a great man, a good football coach, and uh, I like him on ESPN as a broadcaster. I think he's a genuine person. If I can say one thing about Mac Brown, um, about six or eight years ago, I bought my dad a book about the University of Texas football. It was about the year that they won a national championship. And I asked Mac Brown if he would sign a copy for my dad for Christmas. My dad lives in El Paso. Never been to a UT football game, but yet he's the biggest fan of UT football that there's ever been who has never been to a game. And um, Mac took the book and he, he took out a marker and he sat there for about, two or three minutes thinking you could just see him thinking and then he wrote this full page glowing you know signing about 
thank you for being such a, a fan and people like you are the reasons that people like me have jobs and people like you that make our university great. And even if you don't come to a fan, a, a game, you know, we need you. We, you know, and your friendship to the university really matters to us. And he signed it, Hook'em Horns, Mac Brown. And, you know, to this day, my dad cherishes that book. And Mac Brown didn't have to do all that. He mm-hmm. could have just signed his name and given it to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the kind of man he is and and was. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it meant a lot to my dad, you know, that, you know, I finally broke down and took my dad to a football game. A few years ago, I took him to, I flew to El Paso, picked him up, met him. We went to a Texas OU football game. And it was one of those games where Oklahoma just destroyed Texas, like 65 to 12 or something like that. And I remember thinking of all the games my dad could have seen, you know, in his 75 years of watching Longhorn football, that had to be the game. And uh, the same thing happened a few years later. I bought he and my mom tickets to a Cowboy football game. Neither one had ever been to a Cowboy football game. And it was bef- it was at the previous stadium, Texas Stadium. And the San Francisco 49ers just wiped the floor with the Cowboys, something like 35 to 7. And I remember thinking, I felt so guilty. I said, I bought them these tickets and brought them all the way over here just to watch them lose. But they said they had a good time anyway. That's awesome. From a, um, I, I want to wrap it up because I want to be mindful of, of your time. But from a sports perspective, Texas, and we've talked about like the politics of Texas, the investment in athletics here in Texas, the fact that there are more high school athletes in Texas than anywhere else in the country, despite the lower population in some states like California. What is the lesson that sports can provide? And, and does it justify the extra investment here in Texas? Do we have, and this is heavy because this is your focus, but do we have our priorities backward in some cases if, if, we're, if we're focusing on stadiums and not necessarily the education of all, or if we're focusing on the celebrity aspect of junior athletes versus the character like Charlie Strong? And, and, and that's, you know, that's just a question I have. Well, it, it goes back to the, uh, the money issue. Um, there was a Kentucky basketball coach named Adolph Rupp, and he was the coach of Kentucky when Kentucky lost to Texas Western College, our old university in El Paso, when they won the national championship. And Adolph Rupp uh, was asked if he would take a pay cut because he was making so much more than teachers Teachers at his university weren't making even remotely close to what he was making. And he said, when those teachers draw 20,000 people to their classrooms, come back to me. Wow. And, you know, you know, because Adolf Rupp. He's not wrong. <laughs> no, Adolf Rupp, you know, I mean, if they have 20,000 people that go to every single Kentucky game, they're making millions off him and his team. And right or wrong, sports makes a lot of money. Um, teachers, they don't make a lot of money. High school coaches really don't make that much money. They make stipends. Now, there are certain coaches. You mentioned Dallas. The Lake Travis football coach makes $150,000 a year. And he is the single highest 
paid coach, high school coach in the state of Texas. But by and large, most coaches work for stipends. A stipend for a high school football coach might be $12,000. So that's if they're a teacher, well, they're all teachers. So if they make 65, for example, they make now 77. And that's, you know, that sounds like pretty good money to a lot of people. But they don't make 77 as a high school football coach. They make 12 or 15 or or something like that and and then the scale goes down basketball might make six or seven you know baseball might make four thousand so um so only the 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 rich get richer and the poor get poor and uh and and nothing is likely to stop that train i have one one other question are there any kids or any um athletes right now that you're championing that you like to see, you know, some type of either pro, just like what kid right now are you watching? Or what athlete are you watching right now? Yeah, there's a kid, um, well, there's several. Uh, the Lake Travis football team had a junior wide receiver last year named Garrett Wilson. He made all state. He's going to be a senior this coming year. He's the best wide receiver in the state. Um, he has already had about 25 major colleges knock on his door saying, will you please play for us, including the University of Texas, Ohio State, Arkansas, everybody. And uh, he was also the star of the basketball team. He's a 6'3 kid who can just jump out of the building and dunk it. And the University of Tennessee has already offered him a football scholarship and a basketball scholarship. So that it's really rare for one kid to get a basketball scholarship offer um, they are coached at Tennessee by Rick Barnes, who used to be the Longhorns head coach here for many, many years. So he knew the kid, you know, growing up here. But uh, he's going to be something special. His quarterback on that team last year is already enrolled at Ohio State. So they produce an inordinate number of big-time athletes there. And, uh, well, you know, I, I championed – this is something – I championed in the paper on the front page last month. Um, Nick Foles won the Super Bowl for um, Philadelphia, and I, I did dozens of interviews with Nick Foles when what, Nick was a star quarterback at Westlake, you know, ten or twelve years ago. Um, and I remember thinking at the time, this kid is special. But you don't think, you know, when he's in high school, oh, he's going to be a Super Bowl hero someday. Um, you never think that, you know, I remember in El Paso, there was Tim Hardaway played for the UTEP basketball team. And he told me the year before he got drafted, he says, next year, I'm going to be drafted and I'm going to the NBA. And I remember thinking, Tim, you're not going to the WNBA. I mean, the NBA. And, um, sure enough, he got drafted in the first round and then retired as one of the greatest players in the history of the Miami heat organization. And I thought, well, you never know what good you have it when it's right in front of you. That's a whole other section that you could create, Rick's predictions of what you've called, what you've missed, and what you're calling for what's next. I've definitely missed a lot more than I've gotten right. Well, we won't end on that. We won't end on that now. (laughs) What are you most proud of as a writer and a storyteller and a journalist? Oh, boy. Um, Boy. I like uh, delving into people's lives and writing stories that make a difference. I like writing about a kid who ordinarily won't 
be in the paper Mm -hmm. by saying something extraordinary about what the kid has done or gone through. And all of a sudden he gets, she might um, get all this publicity that ordinarily he or she might not get. Mm -hmm. Those ring dear to me because I don't like it that just the star player alone gets all the publicity. Mm -hmm. To me, it's high school sports. Everybody should get some publicity, Mm -hmm. you know, but it's, I have a job to do, and I still have to say who, who the top teams and top players are. But I like writing about players, athletes who have um, overcome obstacles to be where they are today. Do you think um, athletics is like the great equalizer, no matter your your background? To some extent, privilege plays a part as it relates to the district that you're allowed into or the state that you get born into. Absolutely. It focuses, but... Do you think sports is the equalizer as it relates to background? Absolutely. Sports, to me, is so much more important than people like to give it credit for. I've been to LBJ High School several times, and there are a lot of kids there from broken homes, broken families, uh, small incomes, but yet they go to football practice, and they're all equals once they get on the field. Mm -hmm. Um, They forget about the hardships that they grew up with. And that they are enduring at the moment. Mm-hmm. They're there and they're trying to do the same thing that Westlake is doing. Um, they're trying to win games. And they're doing it with the brotherhood where once the season is over and their careers are over as high school athletes, they're still going to know these other teammates for the rest of their lives because they meant something together. And sports creates an environment where... Kids develop a sense of team. You can, when you have a sense of team, it doesn't matter where you go in your life because you're going to have a job in your life where you're going to be working with other people. Mm-hmm. And in football, that's the ultimate thing is to get work with people in a way where you can build something and make a contribution and, and prosper and grow and win. And that's what we do in you know every walk of life. You want to be a team because you can't do it all by yourself. No matter if you're a try sports writer, <laughs> try as you may. <laughs> Kidding! I have an incredible team, but but I, I see that from from a sports perspective. Um, last question: Is there anything you would tell young athletes that can't wait to be covered by Rick Cantu or the Statesman in Texas? Um, I would tell them to have fun. The, um, the important thing is to have fun. Um, not every athlete is going to be Garrett Wilson from Lake Travis and, and get the scholarship. 90% of high school athletes who go out to play, maybe even 95, close to 98 maybe, are not going to play college football. Make your memories now. Even if you go to college, you may not be a star player there. Your best memories of sports might be what you've already done don't ever think that what you're doing now is unimportant because i still have memories of my athletic career so to speak when i was in high school um there are memories that will stay with me forever and the lessons learned learning how to lose for example it's not easy to lose but if you lose enough and you you take it in stride, then losing is just as important winning. The lessons learned from losing are as important as winning. 
And uh, for the most part, uh, the kids that I see are, are really good kids. Most of them take losing in stride. You know, I've, there are times when you see football players crying to the point where they can't even talk after they lose a game. And I'm thinking to myself, it's, first of all, it's just a game. And second of all, you're going to have to grow up, you know. But uh, have fun in high school because high school may be the best time you ever have in your life when it comes to sports because, you know, you're going to get your name in the paper and you might not ever get it in the paper again when you go to a higher level. What's next for Rick? Knowing what you're nowhere near living the statesman, but... I you- can't. I don't have enough money to leave. <laughs> what about a book? Texas Sports. Yeah. Um, I wish somebody would approach me about that. Um, I don't know if my... Uh, my name is big enough to actually write a book that would make money. And I guess that's the goal in life is to make money. But it doesn't have to be. I would love to write a short story book. Um, um, can I tell you a story? Or Absolutely. I don't know what your time is. Um, I, I, I wrote a story about a kid from Pflugerville High School. This is 10 years ago. And he wasn't playing anymore. Okay. He wasn't playing anymore. Because he got leukemia. Mm. Terrible story. And um, we were um, small talking. And one day I asked him, do you have a motto in life? And he said, be positive. And I thought, how simple, how simple is that? But how straight to the point is that? Be positive. Be positive in your life. Things are not always going to be good, but you have a choice to be positive, be negative. And then we continued on this discussion, and I'm telling you, you know, I really admire the way you've done this and that and the other. And um, he said he had a lot of blood work to do, and uh, he, um, he actually passed away about a year after I did the story. But it reminded me of another question I asked him. I asked him... Uh, you have a lot of blood work and he says yes and i said you know what i've i've never i don't even know my blood type you know i've been to i've given blood many times and i don't even know my blood type i said um do you know your blood type and he says yeah be positive <laughs> and like it you know it just almost floored me at the time and uh and you know, I'll always remember him. Mm-hmm. He was a, a, just an average football player who obviously didn't catch a break in life, and but he made a difference, and he was strong, and yeah. he spoke to me in his darkest hour, and I tried to write the best story I, I possibly could to mm-hmm. memorialize him while he was still alive. Mm-hmm. I knew that he was going to pass. I mean, his mother, I interviewed her at the time too, and you know, she thanked me for just paying attention to, to the boy. And um, those are the kids that I th- thrive on writing about, not just the superstar. Mm-hmm. The superstar is going to get theirs. And they're yeah. gonna, they're, the superstar is going to forget me anyway. But um, the ones that you write about that don't catch the breaks, those are the ones that mean the most to me. I feel like there's like five books. Yeah. One, be positive. Two, off the field, because I see a lot of high school players having ambition of being, you know, not just college superstars, but pro players. And and the reality of the statistic is that very few 
make it, but there has to be some sort of resiliency training for athletes off the field. And so what does it look like to take the best of the ethics and and the determination and tenacity that you learn through sports to be a better human, a better citizen, a better colleague, a better, you know, champion? What does championhood look like outside of sports? And then, I don't know. I feel like there's lots of stories that need to be told. And, And the Statesman provides you one outlet, but we would definitely love to help you think about others because... I would love more outlets if it meant more money. If you find an outlet for me, I will. Yeah, I part will look of this is it. podcast. The other part is like branding. You know, so I do. I do. Need ch- any help? And during football season, um, Channel Thirty Six asked me to be on their broadcast once a week, and it's for uh, a segment that they tape and they they air on Wednesday nights. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing this for two years. I've seen you. And it's like, well, um, in two years, I'm still waiting for my first dime. <laughs> from KXN they haven't paid me a dime and they said well it's good publicity for you and I said I don't need publicity I need dimes you know but uh, supposedly it helps the paper well yeah but it also needs to help you do you have your public figure page set up on Facebook no I don't so those are things that you can do a public figure yes you need a public figure page, and then you just import all those videos so that you're not just highlighting KXAN, but you're highlighting yourself and what your work and what you're doing. Well, and it gives you a, a larger platform to tell those stories. That that's you a have. good idea. Yeah, we can um, we can close the podcast out and then dedicate some time to just thinking about how we can help you as a brand because I feel like that's I got a good it's brand. important. No, as as, as a brand that generates revenue and the different the different revenue streams. I always tell the team it's like this is one way you make money, but we need to be working on six other ways. And so I don't pretend to think that people have only ambition to work with us on what we're getting paid to work on, but we should be cultivating our own sense of wonder and purpose and generating new streams. So we'd like to help you. With that said, I want to thank you for joining us, APC Chats, family friend, Rick Andu, sports writer and journalist for the biggest state in sports, Texas. Um, Congratulations on a beautiful career. You're nowhere near done. Well, I'm nowhere near done because I can't afford to quit. (laughs) It's about the dimes. But it's the dimes right now, and that's all they pay me right now is dimes. Let's build your quarter quarter plan. Yeah, I'll take a quarter. (laughs) But, you know, 27 years at the paper, it's been fun. The paper has given me a lot. It's given me a platform. They've allowed me to go to Super Bowls and Mm -hmm. bowl games and tournaments and you know, championship fights. So I'm not complaining about what anything that Statesman has done for me because they have done a lot for me. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great paper. And, and from telling, being, being home to Austin, Austin's journalism, but also telling really compelling stories. I think they've given a lot of writers like you careers, but also the leeway to, to lead with, with values. And I feel like that's the beauty of journalism that needs to be celebrated now more than ever. So... Hi, thanks so much for listening to us at APC Chats. Hopefully you'd walk away with some additional perspective or insight that you didn't have before. That said, if you want to continue the conversation, please do so following us at APC Collective on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thanks so much.